0: Hey, y'all. This is a preview to the latest premium subscriber only episode to Champagne Sharks. So what you're hearing is a small clip of a longer episode that is available over on Patreon.com forward slash Champagne Sharks. And it's available to premium subscribers who pay $5 a month. And if you want to hear the rest of the episode, go over to patreon.com forward slash Champagne Sharks and subscribe for only $5 a month. You get not only access to this episode in its entirety, but to the whole backlog of premium episodes, which at this point is over 100 episodes at this point. So it's a great deal. So without further ado, here is the preview, and I hope we... See you on the other side at patreon.com forward slash Champagne Sharks, where you can hear the rest. Uh, One one thing that I found interesting uh, with the stuff you're talking about with the early um, data collection and networks that were being created to encounter insurgency was they were finding out all this information about people, their culture, their hopes, their dreams, their fears, their whatever using it to kind of crush what they feared was communism, to dominate them, to make them give up self-determination. And one thing I kept thinking is, what if you used all this information and actually tried to do some good with it? And I feel like the same thing kind of happened in the stuff you described today. Like they pull up all this information, an incredible wealth of information that could probably help a lot of organizations that actually want to do good. And they can't think of any grander goal than to uh, use it to sell to target you ads or give it to law enforcement. And mm-hmm. it's just this kind of disappointing recurring theme of um, the people who might have the best intentions don't have money, research, or means. And the people with the money, research, and means to collect all this data don't have the um, right intentions. So this just this constant mismatch uh, through history that kind of depressed me that kept coming up in your... Uh, yeah. No, yeah. it's I mean, true. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, it's like they're very... I mean, it's funny. Like you listen to like someone like Larry Page, you know, the co-founder of Google, and like it's like you know his whole dream is like to make the world more efficient. Like that's his whole thing. Like, yeah, that's a, Just a giant like, management. Like, man, that's type it, of thing. man. That's that's your whole. That's that's your like that's the sum of your
0: of like your hopes for humanity, man. That's that's pretty bleak. Yeah, it, it's, it's like these bleak, people think you know? so big and so small at the same time. It's yeah. incredible. It's it's that both can be existing at yeah. the same time. Like it's it's remarkable, like big in scope of power but like small in scope of uh what can be done with the power it's it's just uh yeah. depressing there's two big things i want to talk about your, your book covers so much and i
1: know man it's, it's a lot yeah
0: <laughs> y- yeah so so there's two things i want to like i have a whole like ream of notes i'm like there's no way i can get to everything everyone just buy the book that's we went kind of a fraction of it but there's two things i would like to see if we could talk about before we end and, and one is the link between San Francisco and technology. And I always thought of them as two contradictory things. I'm like, how did that happen? I just thought that the tech companies just came in and usurped the hippies. And I didn't realize from Ken Kesey to this um yeah. other Still character. Brand. I forget his name. Still the the one who did the rolling... What's that? Oh, Brand? Stuart Brand, yeah. Yeah, yeah, what's his first name again? Stuart. Oh yeah, Stuart Brand. I didn't realize that there was this kind of other strain of counterculture that was libertarian counterculture that kind of fit and the and the commune cults that kind of fit seamlessly with with the mm-hmm. um cybernetics people. And the uh, and the uh, and the the link lighters of the world and how like um the Ken Keseys and the Russell Brand and the, the I keep saying Russell Brand um, <laughs>
1: Stuart Brand yeah pretty Stuart, close though Stuart Brand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah uh, Stuart
0: Brand hard. and and Ken Kesey types and these techno libertarians kind of had a were kind of hippie they had a seamless um fit with the cybernetics thing. Like that was the one thing. And then also like the Snowden and tour and Tor stuff. Yeah. Was the last thing I wanted to talk about. I mean, you don't have to answer it all in one answer, but I wanted to talk about those two things. But starting with uh Stuart Brand and going through to Wired. I thought that's a very interesting and it, it kind of makes sense now how they were able to get a foothold in San Francisco so easily despite this counterculture. Um yeah. reputation.
1: I mean, th- like that stuff is just, it's, it's, it's a, from the soil there, you know, like it's around Stanford. I mean, like they, they didn't really, they've always had a foothold in San Francisco, you know, I mean, uh, from the military, you know, like Stanford is this big military research, um, center on in the West coast. And, you know, obviously San Francisco and like the kind of the commune and the hippie like was, you know, California was huge for, in and that it was a big center of that. But I actually think that, you know, when you talk about the communes and like the sort of, uh, this kind of utopian view of, like the, these, these sort of hippies that have wanted to create like this new world and like actually didn't want to engage with politics and wanted to go out and, and create their own worlds with these communes where they like set up their own, you know, like societies based on their own rules of what they thought would be egalitarian rules. Um, it's sort of that that weren't infected by like the corrupt political structure of the outside world. I mean, that that world and like the world of Tor and Edward Snowden, I think they're actually very related. I mean, they're, they're like part of the same cultural trend, which is that like... On the one hand, you have like the hippies from the 60s, 70s, who like who were huge into cybernetics because they saw cybernetics as almost like, um, because cybernetics posited that we are all just like nodes in this big information machine that is the world. I mean, that's one of the way. That's one of the things how you can kind of look at it, you know, if you want. I mean, I don't think like you know, uh, Norbert Wiener was like you know like a hippie that way, but like that's what you can you can extract that out of out of cybernetics is that we're all just. Sort of information processing machines right and so like interconnected to each other and so a lot some of these communes actually took that very seriously and wanted to build societies based on cybernetic notions where you don't have hierarchies where you don't have like um, any kind of centralized power structures or any kind of structures whatsoever that you're just all kind of nodes in this interconnected system that is within this commune and that is the government, you know, that is the new society that they're trying to build. So they were big fans of that. And the people who were worked on the ARPANET and the early internet, you know, like they visited communes, some of these, I mean, these, these communes were actually run based on cybernetic ideas, like very explicitly. And so it was this, it was sort of this naive idea that you could sort of drop out of the world and create this new world based on this new kind of blueprint of, of like, of information equality that we're all just nodes on this network. Uh, and then we all have equal power, right? And then you could use technology to create a new world. That you could cu- cre- use this t- ideas from technology, and then like use like I don't know, like they were into giant ge- geodesic domes, which are like a, actually designed for the military because they were like very cheap. You know, de- geodesic domes could be very cheaply manufactured and were extremely durable. So they were like you know they were living in geodesic domes because they could be easily put together. So they were using all these sort of like military you know concepts that actually some of them came out of the military like to, to build this new world and uh, uh, using technology to do so. I mean, it actually kind of meshes really well with the privacy world that, um, that sort of came to the fore after Edward Snowden's leaks in the NSA. Is that like S- Snowden and sort of the crew, the crew of like these privacy activists um, and sort of encryption activists and crypto, uh, the crypto community that, that, that sort of was around Edward Snowden, like, they also believed in, in almost very, you know, the same thing that the, that the hippies and the communes did was that you could create a better world on the internet, like that you could safeguard yourself from the internet, from, inter- I mean, from surveillance on the internet and from like all these sort of horrible institutions like Google or, you know, the NSA or the FBI or whatever, who were, were trying to like spy on you and manipulate you on the internet. You could use that without having to like be political. You could actually... Like, you don't need laws. You don't need, like, uh, you know, regulations. You don't need, like, a new political culture. You can do it with just technology. And, like, the the technology was encryption, um, encryption tools. And, like, one of the main one was, you know, called Tor, which is this sort of anonymity tool that powers the dark web and for a while was powering, you know, like, was Silk Road was a huge thing, right? Like, most people kind of learned about Yeah, and I'm going
0: to ask one thing uh, real quick, and then you can just continue. But Tor, I feel like you used to hear about it nonstop and suddenly, you don't really hear by anymore. And people were really on tour's nuts, like hardcore. Like a lot of these uh, journalists who... Like, this is kind of... A couple of years ago, there was this big swell of journalists who were just worshipping Edward Snowden. Yep. And there's still strains of that uh, to a degree, but worshipping tour was a big part of it. And even though people still kind of big up at uh, Snowden a lot, I feel like tour doesn't get uh, mentioned. And I was wondering, is... Have people become disillusioned with TOR since the days when, like, has you, like, I know when you were, t- when you are talking about your research of TOR, you talked about all the pushback you got from your colleagues and people getting mad at you. And uh, do you think that you've kind of been like vindicated about that, being that no one talks about it anymore? and Oh, I'm super vindicated.
1: Were- yeah. I mean, I'm hundred percent right. I mean, it's, yeah, I, I think it's pretty interesting. TOR basically, I mean, the, the, TOR had this crisis, right? Which was that right as I was writing my book um, and because a lot of my reporting I did on TOR, I mean, the the my, the book kind of encapsulated it and actually offered a lot of new information um, about like the way that Tor, because the Tor obviously came out of the out of the Pentagon and it continues to be funded by the U.S. government. I mean, the U.S. government is the main funder of Tor. If the U.S. government pulled funding from Tor, it would cease to exist. So like, and so like that was kind of known, I and I reported on that before and that was, you know, like brought me a lot of grief from a lot of people and death threats and all this stuff. But like, but then in my book, I, fi- I was able to get my hands on internal communications between Tor and it's one of its main government backers. And like, there's like, you know, the relationship is so close, it's ridiculous. And so I was able to sort of like prove my point even even more and documented, you know, like never before seen uh, internal correspondence uh, that Tor had with the federal government. and But what happened was the main thing that happened with Tor that like put it on like like on mute was uh, the first thing was one, it was uh, like, there was a huge scandal within Tor because Jacob Applebaum, this guy who was like the sort of the, he was sort of like the number three. I mean, I guess it would be like Edward Snowden is like the first, you know, main guy Julian Assange would be like this, you know, the second most important person in that kind of like, you know, like transparency and, you know, sort of whistleblowing kind of movement. And then, you know, there's obviously Chelsea Manning, but then there's Jacob Applebaum. So he was like one of the main guys in that movement. He was basically like outed as a sexual, you know, serial sexual uh, abuser. Um, Some people, you know, said that he, you know, he had raped them. Um, And like, it was like, this causes huge... You know, conflict within that world and then on top of that then my reporting came out to like to basically you know show that like not only is there all this sort of like moral rot within that world because a lot of people knew about what was going on and kept quiet you know like you know as as usual with these kinds of scandals like it, it was like it was also the culture and it wasn't just one person It was like the culture in that world was sort of shown to be very toxic and and, and abusive you know that a lot basically facilitated um this kind of abuse and so like and then my reporting came of it and, and then it just sort of like really tore went into crisis mode where like it was it was not even clear if it was going to like survive that because it was like one of its main sort of the face of of the organization was, you know, like outed as like, a you know, as like a, a serial harasser. And like it was, you know, it was a huge thing. So it went on like in hibernation. And then I think like because like, you know, you know, really it's that moment like if you notice, I don't know, like if you follow this stuff, but like Julian Assange, Edward Snowden, like that whole world no longer is like, like supported by like sort of the the liberal sort of mainstream um, like political world anymore because they're all... Oh, yeah,
0: yeah. And and also like kind of like the leftist uh mainstream i know it's kind of a contradiction to say that but there is like this kind of cotter of leftists or a kind of bad boy journalist for lack of a better term that were really kind of boosters for mm-hmm. this for this this corner of you know the internet that just doesn't mention it anymore and it's like it's a kind of not mentioning that happens when you kind of have an egg on your face i feel like
1: Yeah, no, it's true. And, and like, it's also political, I think, because check this out. I mean, like, because, because the 2016 election, right, it like, it turned a lot of things upside down, like with Trump getting elected, you know, and like, and the whole, all the accusations that like Russia was behind it, you know, it really kind of split a lot of things. So like suddenly, you know, Julian Assange and WikiLeaks became agents of Putin. Right, like people, mm. and, and actually, it's their main supporters. And you know, Edward Snowden is in like Russia, right? Like, yeah. yeah, I mean, and and so, I and so, like, a lot of the supporters, like, basically turned on them because they were seen as sort of like, you know, it was like no longer like politically, it was like whatever career wise or whatever, like the, the the going with the herd mentality was like no longer in vogue to support these guys because not only was like Julian, you know, because Julian Assange is like was trying to like you know basically spreading dirt on Hillary and was helping. Get, yeah, yes
0: yeah. so, yeah. so for for those mainstream centrist libs, liberals especially. Yeah, I mean especially. people who
1: lost their shit and like basically fl- flipped on them and basically sold them out, you know? Like at the time. Yeah. Like they really um, and like people who were like, I mean that whole privacy world is a real cesspool, man. Like uh, Oh, because yeah. cuz it's like it's like a career it's full of these careerists and like who who like, abandoned their, like, their heroes, essentially, you know? The, the guys that, like, made that world possible. And I'm not, like, a huge, you know, I'm not a fan of that world. But, like, even I am, like, appalled by what they, like, what they... How but but a treatment. weird thing
0: with the primacy world, too, is it has, for lack of a better word, like, a lot of groupies and fans. Like, there's a lot of people who make these people into kind of like what probably outlaws used to be in the days of the wild west like they kind of view these people as a modern tech version of of that there's a weird romanticization of these people kind of like um as bandits in a way that are robin hood types but yeah instead of instead of like stealing money and giving it to the poor they're like stealing data and exactly
1: yeah they're like and they're like they're like you're you know because there's like you can't really everyone's powerless against all this stuff so you have like someone who like you know champions your interests uh, I mean, you know what I think, though. I don't know if you agree with this, but like, I mean, I think it's actually like Bernie Sanders I mean, it actually was one of the one of the reasons why like a lot of this privacy stuff got wiped out because it track that privacy stuff tracks very closely to just the general like liber- to the libertarian world. Like, so like yeah. If you I don't know if you remember like you know libertarianism was the huge thing, right? Everybody was like libertarian, libertarian, and like and then Bernie Sanders came along, and then suddenly he just like disappeared. Suddenly everyone no, was like a Bernie it, bro. It's true. You know? It's
0: true. Yeah, I don't know if libertarianism. Li- libertarianism was already in the wane and that helped Bernie Sanders come through, or if Bernie Sanders came through and that, or maybe a combination of the two was already on, on the wane and Bernie Sanders was the final nail in that. But now like libertarianism is kind of like openly acknowledged uh, as a joke. And what is interesting is when you tie in like Wired Magazine and that guy Brand and, mm-hmm. and the whole um, boosterism of tech, uh, when you tie it into a type of Hippie libertarianism—it makes so much sense. I'm like, oh, of course a libertarian would think that way. Like, 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 libertarian is almost a slur now. It's like, uh, it's like, yeah. I was ready to buy into why it is bad the minute you tied it into libertarianism uh, before, you yeah. made, before you even made a case like it's just, uh, you're like oh libertarian oh fuck man. oh yeah yeah i, I was I, at that point my mind was primed to accept anything <laughs> bad you said about you said no about i them. mean the, yeah the whole like the
1: whole privacy culture thing is highly libertarian because they were all about like using these technological you know technology to solve political problems right surveillance is a political problem like corporate surveillance and political surveillance they're political problems fundamentally like you there's just no way no matter how what kind of technology you have there's no way you're going to win against the nsa there's just no way there's just not yeah it's not, it's not yeah. possible like and and the whole business model of silicon valley is surveillance so there's no way you're going to win with your little like a wimpy app that you like coded in your basement you know
0: all right so that was a preview if you like what you hear and you want to hear the rest of the episode and a hundred more episodes, then by all means, go over to patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks. Take care y'all.